Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on a gorgeous Thursday, uh, really from just right out of the gate this morning where you had blue skies and sunshine and it was warm and then it got really warm in a hurry. Uh, in parts of the state of Mississippi, temperatures knocking on 90 degrees. We are still in the month of March. I don't know what that means for when we finally get to summer, but it feels like a, uh, a pretty welcome respite for what has been dreary for uh, seemingly a long time. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action and showing it through this COVID-19 crisis in addition to every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Guys, I know there are a lot of places that uh, in Mississippi have reduced access or maybe it's shelter in place. Nobody's got a full-on lockdown, and we don't have that as a statewide mandate. I I think, for the most part, I observed social distancing today, but everywhere I was throughout the course of the day, people were taking advantage of the fact that all of a sudden it feels like early summer, not dreary late spring. You can social distance outside. Those are two very possible things. True statement, and people were fully taking advantage of it. Hey, Dad, please tell me that you left the confines of your home today. Well, yeah, I'm here at the studio. Okay. Aside from that, did you get outside and go for a walk and just, like, sniff in some of that pollen in the air? (laughs) No, but I had some work to do, so I, I did that. There you go. Rippy, what's up? Not much. I went and ran. Good for you. How far did you go? Enough to sweat. That's good. Didn't take nearly as long today to get a sweat going, huh? No, not as the last couple of days. But it was not bad temperature when I ran. It was still low 70s. Have you guys ever heard of Jesse Itzler? Does that name ring a bell for you? Can't say that it does. Nope. So his wife is the founder of the women's clothing company Spanx. It's like undergarments that make you feel better about yourself. And he is the founder or co-founder of the company Marquee Jet uh, and has done a bunch of other stuff. He's been a music producer and just kind of involved in a bunch of different business things. So I've been reading uh, this book that he wrote out, uh, that he wrote called Living with a Seal, Basically, he ran in a, either a marathon or an ultra marathon somewhere in California, and there was this former Navy SEAL who was like mountain of a man, like 6'2", 250 or 60 pounds. 
and he was so intrigued by him that this is like so so apparently Jesse Itzler is like the most forward person on the planet. He says if I find somebody interesting, I reach out to them to see if they will be my friend. Like if he sees a product that he likes, he finds out who the founder of the or the creator of the product is and calls them up and just wants to know about it and is like, "Hey, let's be friends." And, you know, I guess kind of an interesting way to uh, build your network. So, he's intrigued by this seal who you know, everybody else is running and huffing and puffing and, you know, drinking their water and they've got all their fancy gear on. And this guy just is like stone faced, straightforward. So he reaches out to him. He's like, Hey, can I come see you? And the guy's like, uh, I guess, but you're paying for it. So he flies across the country from New York to California and asks him to come and train him. And this former Navy SEAL who has the social skills of a lamppost moves into his apartment in New York for a full month and basically takes him through this training program. Anyway, that was a, it's a fascinating short read if you're interested in it. The long story there was they do about a gazillion push-ups. Like the first day the SEAL gets there, he tells him by the end of the month you'll be doing a 1,000 push-ups in a day. And so unlike Rippy, I don't really run unless somebody's chasing me. Uh, Borky likes to be a runner as well, at least in spurts. Hey, Dad, not much of a runner, I don't think, but he's a walker. So I've been trying to do push-ups for the last few days. It's like that has inspired me. That's been my – I've told you before, I'm the world's worst workout person. Like I'll get inspired to go to the gym for two weeks, and then I'm done. And it's six months before I go again. I don't know. Does that mean there's something wrong with me? Or just get bored easily. No, but that story would have been a lot more interesting if it was a like animal seal training somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you, wow. you make your you go make your runs in December in in Central Park, and you've got a a, a seal like waddling along beside you. <laughs> you're you're, you're, on a, you're what is it a pescatarian diet? We're eating a lot of fish, a lot of fish, a lot of fish. I, I don't know why I told that story. Maybe we were talking about books that uh, are worth a read. Kind of a funny read. Uh, maybe uh, maybe worth your time. Uh, glad to have you along again. The C Spire text line is open. I'm trying not to be sad. Trying not to be sad today because today on the calendar is one of my favorite days of the entire year. It has pomp. It has circumstance. It is Major League Baseball's opening day. And so when I pulled the Score mobile app on my uh, phone up earlier today, um, I realized all these games are postponed. Not that I didn't know it as well. You had Detroit at Cleveland. The Nats were at the Mets. The Royals were at the White Sox. Cubs at Brewers. Yankees at Orioles. Red Sox were in Toronto. Minnesota was in Oakland. Pittsburgh was in Tampa Bay. The Rangers were at the Mariners. Cardinals and the Reds were supposed to play in Cincinnati. Hey, Dad, the Giants were at the Dodgers to open the season uh, before it was postponed. Rockies at Padres. Phillies at Marlins. Angels at Astros and Braves at Diamondbacks. I don't know why I read that out loud, uh, because as I read it, it was more depressing. We would have had Major League Baseball starting at about, oh, 11.30, maybe noon, and it would have been wall-to-wall throughout the course of the day. Plus, we would have had another weekend of SEC baseball starting, as you had Alabama and Auburn playing a a three-game series that began tonight. So a little depressing not to see bunting, and every channel you flip to on ESPN's got a game on. Would have been seventy degrees and sunny too. Yes, at, and in some worse. places, yeah, in some places it actually would have been warmer than that. <laughs> I actually would have uh, have been warmer than that in some uh, some spots along the way. 
So, in that vein, Michael Borky hatched an idea after the show yesterday, and he gets all the credit for it and has done a boatload of work throughout the uh, course of the last 18 hours or so. Michael, what do we have coming up this afternoon? We have 35 of your, uh, the three of you and the listening audience's favorite radio or television calls in sports. We've got Ole Miss, we've got Mississippi State, we've got Major League Baseball, and then like an other category, uh, like one was submitted from Rhino, the, the Team USA goal against Algeria to go to the quarterfinals. Uh, in the 2010 World Cup, calls like that, but almost 40 of them I've got uh, loaded and ready to play this afternoon. And I I figured, especially with opening day, that's where it came from, is if you remember last year I made an opening day montage, well, I decided to uh, uh, put some steroids into that and found, I think it's 36 total, if I counted correctly, of your favorite radio and television calls for the afternoon. And we're just going to kind of do that throughout the entire course of the show. We don't have any guests coming your way. We've got some stuff to get to, some stuff to talk about as we roll through the show. But we're going to kind of stroll down memory lane. This is something that in the past, Borky, you mentioned it. You put together a montage last year on the opening day of of, uh, Major League Baseball season. We've played a bunch of clips, you know, whether it's Joe Garagiola and or you know Joe Buck calls from the past and we've always had fun and have gotten pretty good reaction from that we're just broadening it out today so we'll do we'll probably start with some major league baseball we might even wrap the show at the end with some major league baseball but Borky I think this is going to be fun and the list you sent is spectacular I'll give you a sample of what's coming up Vin Scully Skip Carey Joe Buck Milo Hamilton Jack and Joe Buck kind of married together in a uh, a very similar call. Hark, uh, Hawk Harrelson put it on the board, yeah, and uh, some Red Sox stuff. We've got Mississippi State highlights for you, including Jim Ellis, Jack Crystal, and maybe some TV stuff mixed in there. Some Ole Miss stuff coming to you in terms of baseball and some football and some basketball. And then just some random great calls that are in there. Borky mentioned Ian Dark a second ago. We'll bring Al Michaels to you, some Vern Lundquist, uh, Jim Henderson when he was still the radio voice of the Saints. We'll go a little bit farther back and bring you some Howard Cosell. And hey, Dad, for you, even a great call from WWF. Was it WWF or WWE at the time? At the time, it would have been WWF. Okay. Undertaker throwing mankind off of a cage. So we've even got some wrestling for you. Some Keith Jackson. Some Brent Musburger. And a whole lot more. Even a little Mike Keith. Rippy, you might like that. The old Music City Miracle with Mike Keith from the Titans Radio Network. All of that is coming your way this afternoon. And I hope you're as excited about it as I am. Thanks again to Borky for uh, all the work that he put on that. Let's get started in just a couple of minutes. Well, we've already gotten started. We'll continue in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Thursday. Ed Werder reported on SportsCenter last night, I guess it was on Scott Van Pelt's show, that the Dallas Cowboys had, for the first time since placing the exclusive franchise tag on Dak Prescott, reopened contract discussions with him. And now, according to Ed Werder, a source on the Cowboys' negotiations with Dak Prescott 
wouldn't describe a contract resolution as close or even imminent, but said discussions are not contentious and that Prescott will emerge as the highest-paid player in the NFL. What do you make of that? The question is, how can they possibly afford that? I mean, yes, you can make things work. You give guys signing bonuses and then backload their contract, but highest-paid player in the league money is a approaching 40 million after they've paid everybody else where is that 40 million going to come from and who are they going to cut to get it I mean you've got to make the salary cap yeah I mean is there a way to creatively put this deal together where there's a bigger cap hit on the back end than there is at the front end and like everybody else, they are planning for the salary cap to go way up when the new TV deals come into place? That's got to be it, right? Here's a, a question that you can't answer. How do you know the TV deals are going to be in place? I mean, what happens if we don't start football in September? What does that do well, to the salary cap, you know? For- I mean, this is... It, does yeah, that, that affect that, the way you form your contracts right now? Because there could be not losses, but less revenue if something happens. It may happen this year, but the new cap wasn't going into place this year anyway, right? I mean, they've gotten the new CBA done, but it doesn't start yeah. for this league year. I think it's next league year when it begins. Wilson and Greenwood and, says it's the money coming from the stimulus package. But the TV money would affect future salary caps, not the current one. No, that's why I asked the question, is there a way that they're structuring, potentially structuring this deal where it has a smaller hit this year? Or you even say, yes, this is going to negatively impact us this year, but we think it's going to get better in the years to come, so it's not a deal that's going to hamstring us for the next six years. It's going to hamstring us this season, but we've got enough wiggle room to be able to get the people in place that we need to for this year and then it'll all work itself out down the line. That may be a risky gamble, but there's got to be something to that if they are willing to make him the highest-paid player in the NFL. This also sounds like he's talking to someone on the Prescott side of things. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about Ed Warder, man. The most connected Cowboys reporter in the country, I would imagine. I would well, imagine that doesn't he's mean he's not connected. Most- I mean, I'm just saying uh, he 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 probably has he's getting information. I I don't I don't know that you're wrong, Rippy. I'm not trying to say that you're wrong, but I would imagine he's talking to people within the organization as well. Mike in Oxford asks on the ceasefire text line: Are y'all sure sure this Dak tweet wasn't meant for April first? <laughs> and him being the highest paid player would not last long because there's a couple of guys, uh, one in Kansas City, one in Baltimore, that eventually will surpass him, but. Zach Prescott's a good NFL quarterback, but very good one. I think he's upper half of the league without even thinking about it. But highest paid player in the league, that doesn't fit. It doesn't add up. It'll change, and I know the market for the quarterback and all that stuff, but my goodness, that I understand you believe in the guy, and he has been productive, and he has been good, but highest paid player in the league, that means you think he is worth more than Russell Wilson? 
Ooh. See, I don't even know that that's what it means, though, Borky. I think it just means that he's your guy. And in the economics of the NFL, when you do a new deal for a franchise player, you tend to reset the market. But you don't have to. It's just usually that resetting the market is for a very finite amount of time. It, it think about you know being the highest pay, pay player in any league doesn't mean you're the best player in that league. Mike Connolly was the best play was the highest paid player in the NBA for a few years. I mean it just happens. That's, it, I think Richard's right when you when you have a franchise player and you sign him to a deal, you you tend to you know whatever the highest paid guy is there, he, he's he's going down a notch. It just happens in all sports. They didn't do it with Amari though. Well, Amari Cooper is is. Not a franchise player. He's a great wide receiver, but he's not. I wouldn't quantify him as a franchise. He's not a quarterback at the end of the day. But the my thing is, Dallas. If they hadn't done what they did with Zeke, this would make a lot more sense. Well, yeah. That now that I can't. You, nobody can disagree with that. That was a foolish business move. Yeah, I don't know what to make of of all of this, other than the fact that. The Dallas Cowboys have said all along that they were going to take care of Dak Prescott. And because they put the exclusive franchise tag on him, people go, oh, disgruntled and it's going to be bad and whatever. Maybe they just said to Dak, look, we're, we're going to get the deal done. We're going to get there, but we haven't gotten there yet. And so to protect our investment, which is you, we're putting the franchise tag on you. And now we've got a little more time to work out the deal, work out a deal. And again, $26 million this year. And, and that's before everything is completely calculated, but he's expected to make in the 26 to $30 million range this year if they don't get a deal done. And then they could potentially get a deal done next year, which for Dak might not be the worst thing in the world if there's some other deals that happen. Although I don't think he's going to get Pat Mahomes' money. He's not going to get whatever Lamar Jackson gets when it's all said and done, but he's going to be close. The question it's good, to, it's good time to be a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and congrats to him. I mean, hey, I get this all the time, only on Twitter. That's where the worst people exist. But when you say, wow, that's a lot of money, seems like it's an overpayment, they think that you're taking like a direct shot and you think that it's bad that he's getting that money. Like, no, good for him. That's great. If you can get that money, congrats to you. Saying that it seems like an overpayment doesn't mean you're not happy for the guy for getting it. Just wanted to throw that out there for uh, my friends on Twitter. Argo in Blue Springs says, when announcers are making $20 million a year, think about what the players should be making. You know, my, my only... I don't disagree with what you're saying, but to me it's just kind of capitalistic, period. You're worth what someone is willing to pay you. And CBS doesn't have a salary cap either. They don't. And CBS is not going to pay its other analysts anywhere close to what Tony Romo is making, regardless of the fact that he reset the market. ESPN was going to get close with Peyton Manning if they had been able to get that done, but they were going to do that because they believed in the value of it. So why is CBS willing to pay Tony Romo $18 million? Well, number one, because he had leverage. right? He was about to be a free agent, and ESPN wanted him. 
And if you're negotiating a contract, I mean, Borky, if, if it's time to negotiate your contract with Telesouth, the best thing that could happen to you is somebody else wants you. Because if somebody else wants you, one of two things happens. Either you go to that other place and you get paid, or the place you are right now says, no, we, we value enough that we're willing to pay you. And we want to keep you where you are. Wait, you guys are getting, you guys are getting paid? Yeah, man. You should, uh, you should try it sometime. It's good. It's a good deal. So, so you know, again, Argo, I understand the point that uh, that you're making. But, again, it's, you know, what does the market dictate for you individually? The market dictates that Dak Prescott, because his time is now, he's going to get a whole bunch of money. Whether they do the deal now, they do the deal next year, or he does a deal with somebody else two years from now. Dak Prescott, as long as he stays healthy, is going to get paid a lot of money because he is a successful NFL quarterback. And, you know, we could circle back if we wanted to to the debate about Eli Manning, right? Is he elite? It doesn't matter if he's elite in terms of is he one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. He is the face of the most recognizable brand in American sports, maybe with the exception of the New York Yankees. But I'd say probably the Dallas Cowboys are a bigger brand than even the New York Yankees. They're certainly the biggest brand in the most popular sport in the United States, and he is the face of that franchise. He's going to get paid whether he's one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL or not. Bunch of texts coming in from you on the C Spire text line. Jason and Columbus ask, why not do more Bobby Bonilla deals? They're coming up on Bobby Bonilla Day, what, uh, middle of the summer. He continues to get paid. Did you see that there's actually a player in Major League Baseball who just did a deal that is a little bit similar to what Bobby Bonilla did? Tell you who that is when we come back, and then a couple of other questions that have come in. Then we'll get into some of these clips. Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, there's a question about uh, why more contracts don't look like Bobby Bonilla's deal where he continues to get paid for like 75 years. It's a bit of an exaggeration. Shaq Bully tells us that this is old news. I agree that it's old news, but it came out a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know that it necessarily hit the radar for a lot of people. Christian Yelich with the Milwaukee Brewers has a nine-year contract with the team for $215 million. But they are deferring $4 million each year from his $26 million annual salary between 2022 and 2028. There's an option for 2029 with buyout money and all of that. None of that matters. Here's what you need to know. Christian Yelich is going to either get $4 million a year until he is 50, or a little over $2 million a year. So he'll either get $30 million in 12 installments. Okay, it's not $4 million. It's $2.5 million. He'll either get $30 million in 12 installments of $2.5 million each on July 1st from 2031 through 2042, that's if they owe him a buyout at the end of the deal. And if they don't owe him a buyout, he will get $28 million spread out over 11 installments 
2,333,000 and change starting in July of 2031 and going through 2041. There's part of me that looks at that, it's kind of like you win the Powerball. Do you want all your money up front or do you want the annuity? Well, nobody wants the annuity. They want all their money up front. But if the upfront money means you're still going to make $20 million a year for the next nine years, and then for a decade after that, after you retire, you can continue to collect a $2.5 million a year check, that's not a bad way to go about it. Or at least I don't think it is. I'd live with it. Yeah, I would say sign <laughs> me up. Yes, nobody is complaining. No, nobody is complaining. But, but I mean, I guess the bigger question is: Would you prefer to get twenty-six million a year for nine years, or would you prefer to get twenty-two million a year for nine years, and then get another two and a half million a year for the next decade? That one. You like the second idea where the revenue continues to come even after you're done? Yeah, because you're still getting a, a significant amount up front, if you will, but you still have like fallback money in case you spend it all. I mean, private islands are expensive. And so, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, you can guess buy some in the too. Bahamas for like ten million. I mean, an island where it's only like your compound on it. Like you can, they're they're listed on Trulia. You can go buy one right now, but the upkeep and all that stuff probably have to pay a staff. You know, gets costly. I'm not sure that you're really buying an island unless you're a billionaire. There's not a Whole Foods on the island either. You're gonna have to, you know get food shipped in and things like that well if you remember yeah, sure. the fire fest documentary i mean you could buy uh certain former drug lords islands as long as you don't tell anybody about it yeah johnny sure. depp and mel gibson own island so does dicaprio well none of those guys are billionaires so they're not hurting such though, a man. a bad gig leo's not a uh, billionaire who leo dicaprio i i don't know like salaries like athletes but i figured if any actor is a billionaire it'd be that guy i don't know google his net worth my guess is no i would guess he has a net worth of a couple of hundred million 260 okay he's a better investment guy this is a great question i really really like this question a baseball question Will the Southeastern Conference for baseball keep the same home and away schedule for 2021 games since no games were played this year? And I'm not sure who sent this message, but they say that would stink for Ole Miss to have to go back to Arkansas and back to Baton Rouge without hosting the Razorbacks or the LSU Tigers. So that would be the bad part of it. The good part of it would be yeah. a schedule shuffle where you don't catch Florida and Georgia and Vanderbilt in the same season. I mean, that's probably the the other piece of it, right? Yeah, you hit it there. I mean, their East draw is pretty brutal, but you also don't know what the programs are going to be like next year either. So that factors into it as well. You're a long way off from all that getting sorted out. Now, I, I agree with that. Just on the surface... Hey, Dad, from a Mississippi State perspective, would you rather see the Bulldogs play the 2020 schedule, which includes hosting Ole Miss for Super Bulldog Weekend in 2021, or would you rather see a reshuffle and you just go to whatever the next year's schedule was going to be? 
Just thinking about it off the top of my head, that means State would go to A&M, Ole Miss, and who's the other one? In Arkansas. Arkansas, And then would host LSU. It feels like a coin flip. I mean, you know, if you can avoid what Ole Miss got, if you're avoiding Florida, Georgia, Vanderbilt on the same schedule, it really doesn't feel like it's much of a difference to me. Yeah. I mean, if if you had if you had Ole Miss's schedule yesterday, or excuse me, from last year, where they avoided all of those teams, then you'd say, uh, yeah, I'll take that. We'll, we'll take that. You get Mississippi State at home. Yeah, you got to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah, you got to go to Fayetteville. But uh, you also play Missouri and you play Kentucky and you know whoever else. Um, with this schedule, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to which direction the league will go with this either. Um, You know, for some teams it would be a nice break. Like they would be catching a good break by just getting a reshuffle. And for some teams it's probably less of a good break. Like if you get Kentucky and Missouri and, you know, whoever else from the East this year, you would rather play that schedule again. All right, let's get into a few of our clips. We'll start out, uh, we'll go the nostalgia route for Atlanta Braves fans. You remember what the summer of 1992 was like, right? I mean, it really got started right at the beginning of the 90s. Uh, you had the, uh, well, there was a magical run in 90, I think, was the year they went worst to first. And then 91, 91 they were close. Oh, it was no, not, not, They went 91 worst to first. Yeah, ni- ni- so 1990 was worst, last place. 91, they finished first in the division, and they begin that incredible run of winning the division every year. And then 1992, Game 7, NLCS, some guy named Sid Bream becomes famous forever. Here's what it sounded like from Skip Carey. A lot of room in right center. If he hits one there, we can dance in the streets. The 2-1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Bream. Here's the throw to the plate. He is safe. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. They may have to hospitalize Sid Bream. He's down at the bottom of a huge pile at the plate. <laughs> is there anybody who is. This. I've never heard Skip Carey I've never heard that, that one either. Oh, that's great. Has there ever been a player in that big of a moment who looked more like they had a piano strapped to their back trying to get <laughs> to home plate than Sid Bream did? You know, and the ball's hit to left, right? Isn't that where Bonds is? And he couldn't make that throw? It was a pretty good Bream? throw, wasn't it? I, I couldn't get Sid Throw Bream. Throw on the money. I mean, it, instant replay would have looked at that thing for 10 minutes. He was safe, though. He beat it, oh, he, but they safe, would have yeah. looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and think about, oh, oh, Borky, I'm glad you said that. Because what an anticlimactic ending. You have that unbelievable ending. He's called safe. Everybody goes crazy. They're going to have to check on Sid Bream and maybe take him to the hospital. Nope, time out, time out. we got to go to video review. And we hang out for four minutes. You called me crazy like two weeks ago for saying that we overuse instant replay now. 
Did I? Yeah. I don't remember what I, I think did it should only be used for egregious mistakes. Not where we slow it down for 10 minutes. And, no. I think we overuse it now, and you called me crazy, and we got the technology, so we might as well use it. Now it's like it would have ruined this call. Unbelievable. You see the end of hoops games on whether they get the shot off or not. It doesn't really ruin much. Yeah. But they usually don't take all that long. Baseball reviews seem to take a whole lot longer. But, Borky, on this particular play, I mean, couldn't you argue that that is absolutely when you use instant replay you're talking about whether or not a team gets to go to the world series or not you doggone better sure make uh, doggone better make sure you got it right yeah and luckily just do it quickly though right extra official up with the monitors it takes no time but you know i'm too smart for uh sports (laughs) administration i guess Josh in New Albany says, it gives me chills. I'm reliving one of my ultimate childhood memories. Thank you, guys. You got it, Josh. That was fun. We'll have some more brave stuff for you and a whole lot more coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Thursday, the 26th of March. Champagne and the taste is like Coca-Cola. C-O-L-A Cola. Hey, Dad, I'm going to say something that is going to crush your soul, but I hope you'll forgive me for it. You ready? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. There are few things that are more beautiful than Dodger Stadium on opening day. Oh, God. Now, with that said, right now on MLB Network, they're, they're doing greatest games. Season opener 2013 San Francisco at L.A., uh, mm-hmm. Matt Cain against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, Giants lost that game. So, Was it close? I believe so. Kershaw hits a home run. Well, he is not yet because it's scoreless in the bottom of the fourth inning. Doesn't Clayton Kershaw kind of have a history of just carving people up on opening day? He does. This is the point where you make your joke about the postseason. You know, it's so far away at that point. You it's can't not make jokes about the postseason now knowing that he had people giving signs ah, to the batters. Was, you know? was bad before that. Aye. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, let's see here. You liked the Atlanta Braves highlight. Let's give you one more. Let's fast forward from postseason 1992 where the greatest moment happened in the NLCS to postseason 1995. You remember 1994 was the strike-shortened season. There are a lot of people that think the Braves would have won the World Series in 1994. There are others that argue the Expos would have been the team to beat in 94. We'll never know because we didn't have a World Series. But we did have one in 1995. Let's once again go to the great Skip Carey. This is what the final out sounded like. 51,000 plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. 
51,000 plus at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Marquise Grissom runs it down, squeezes it, and in 1995, the Atlanta Braves win the World Series. I remember vividly, there was a picture from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, one of the ones that uh, that kind of made it. There was a, a person with just a plain white poster board holding it above their head, both hands, and it said, finally, dot, dot, dot. That was all that it said, and it was a pretty perfect summation for Atlanta winning the World Series. Skip Carey, isn't that just a voice that just takes you back? Yeah, you feel like a kid again. Yeah. I know this is something we've talked about before. Like, If you grew up, and, and Borky, you probably, because you're from South Carolina, didn't have this experience, and Rippy, you're a little bit younger, but if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s and you were a baseball fan, then there are a couple of voices that will always be there for you. If you listen to Cardinals baseball, you listened to Joe Buck and Mike Shannon. And when you hear those voices, it takes you to a different place. If you were a Braves fan, Skip Carey, Joe Simpson, um, Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson, Pete Van Weeren, those were the Don voices. Sutton. Yeah. And Don Sutton. It, it was those five, and they kind of rotated between radio and television. I mean, you got some radio and some TV from all five of those guys, and they made it work. And, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons we've talked about this in the past, that the Braves have so many fans across the country and not just in the Southeast is because of the Superstation. You know, the, the TBS Superstation, you had two teams who every single game they played was broadcast all over the United States that were relatively close to this part of the country. It was the Cubs on WGN and the Braves on TBS. And I remember, you know, and year, you know, years later in the, you know, maybe even the early 2000s, you would hear the Braves announcers talking about how many Braves fans were at Dodger Stadium when the Braves would make a West Coast swing. It was because people had watched every Braves game for years and years and years and just kind of had become fans along the way. Um, I guess that's maybe one thing that's a little disappointing about the way Major League Baseball is distributed, even locally now, but it's all money-driven. Borky, we got time for one more before the uh, break? we got time for one more, depending on which one you choose. We've got Hey Dad's San Francisco Giants, the one that he requested that I can play here in under a minute. All right, let's do it. That was for you, hit it. I, w- I wasn't alive, obviously. Richard might have been for the first Giants win the pennant, but uh, that's yeah. mine. Yeah, that was not the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant, but it was Joe Buck, as he has done a couple of times in his career, tipping his cap to history and dropping the Giants win the pennant. What year was that, hey, Dad? Which particular that's, uh, one was that, that? That's 14. Okay, that was 2014. Of course, they went on to win the World Series as well. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll take a timeout. We're going to play a whole bunch more clips for you in the 4 and 5 o'clock hours this afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi. Hello, Ryder. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. C Spire and UMMC are partnering to help Mississippi cancel COVID-19 for a limited time. COVID-19 screenings are free through the C Spire Health app for anyone in Mississippi with fever, respiratory issues, or other symptoms of the disease. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. We're doing something a little bit different this afternoon. We are on the opening day, well, what was to be opening day of Major League Baseball season. We're without baseball, and so we're going back through some of the great calls from Major League Baseball history. We've played, I guess, three of those for you so far. Uh, a couple from uh, Skip Carey, the 92 in LCS. Uh, Sid Bream coming around to score base hit. Uh, who was it that got the hit? It was uh, Francisco Cabrera, wasn't it? That is correct. There you go. Cabrera got the hit. Bream came around to score the uh, game-winning run, and that was in uh, 1992 and 95. The uh, Braves winning against the Indians in the uh, in the World Series. So you had those. You had uh, Joe Buck's call of the 2014. Giants win the pennant. That was by request from Brian Haydad. Uh, We not only, though, are going to do Major League Baseball stuff, we've got just some other great calls for you. Uh, Some random announcers, I say random, famous announcers from kind of all over the sports map, and also some stuff for uh, Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. Let's start the 4 o'clock hour with one of the great calls and one of the great dramatic moments in Major League Baseball history. We go to the 1980, oh goodness, was it 87? Dodgers, Kurt Gibson, was that 87 or 88? 88. 1988 World Series. Game one, Kurt Gibson coming off the bench behind the microphone, the great, the incomparable, Vin Scully. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! people that would say the beauty of that call is the silence. Now, you got to remember, that was the television call. So, first of all, question for you. 
if that was a radio call, was the delay too long for that moment? No. I don't think so. Not even on radio? I don't think so. Only because when it's a hit like that, if you are listening to the game and you're a fan, what are you doing when something like that happens? You're going crazy. Right. So likely what you're saying is probably not being heard anyway. He nails the call, and then for 70 seconds does not say a word. And from a television standpoint, it's it's remarkable. You know what the most incredible just-keep-your-mouth-shut moment in baseball history is for me? Like, 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 that was fantastic, and it was because of the moment. But the bigger accomplishment, do you remember the night that Cal Ripken Jr., Broke the consecutive games played mark. Mm -hmm. Chris Berman was the announcer that night. He was the play-by-play announcer in Baltimore. And when it becomes official, so as they're going to the bottom of the fifth inning, they've played the top of the fifth, they're going to the bottom of the fifth, They because that's when it becomes an official game, and they unfurl the banner to go from 21-31 to 21-32, and he is officially baseball's Iron Man, Chris Berman says whatever he says to start, and then he goes like 10 minutes without saying a word and did nothing but let the pictures tell the story. And that story included, uh, with some protest from Cal Ripken Jr., a victory lap around the entire stadium in the middle of the game. And Chris Berman, rumbling, stumbling, tumbling, he could go all the way. Back, 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 back. You know, Chris Berman did not say a word for 10 minutes. And it was perfect. It's like what happened at Augusta last year. Nance went, what, four minutes without saying anything? After the final putt? Yeah. Did he really? Something it was like it was like three forty five or something like that without saying a word. Do you know how hard that is to do? Like, like, we, from from a broadcaster standpoint, we don't get a ton of feedback. Like, like we, you would think that working for a company like ESPN, that you, you know your producers or your bosses or whatever would have pretty consistent feedback. This is what you need to do to get better. This is what we liked. You get almost none. But the most consistent piece of feedback, whether it's me or it's Chris Fowler or somewhere in between those two ends of the spectrum, people say, let it breathe. Let it breathe. Don't talk so much. Let it breathe. And it's hard to do sometimes. I feel like that's something that I've gotten better at over time. But to go 20, 30, 45 seconds without saying anything, it almost gets to a point where you're getting a little nervous. (laughs) I love the combination of 
two calls together. So back to back, father and son separated by 1991 to 20 when, Borky, 2013? Is that right? I think so. So separated by 22 years, Jack Buck and Joe Buck, similar moments. Here it is. Choked the ball. The hitter swings at the arm motion. Into deep left center from Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. So that's twice in in you know the last 15 minutes where we've heard clips where Joe Buck kind of tips his cap to history. He did it with Giants win the pennant, Giants win the pennant. It was 10 years you know apart, what? 91 to 2011. That's 20 years. Yes, 20 years, not 10 years. 20 years apart. <laughs> fingers and toes, not just fingers. <laughs> well, not a math guy. So, you know what the common denominator was between those two calls? There were game six? No, well, yes. First one was Kirby Puckett hitting the walk-off winner for the Twins against the Braves. The second was David Freeze hitting the walk-off winner for the Cardinals. Borky, can you play that one more time? Listen to the very first voice you hear. Choke the ball. The hitter swings at the arm motion. It's Tim McCarver. Common denominator. Tim McCarver is the color analyst Everybody's in the World favorite. Series. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. That's a couple of pretty good ones there. We've got Hank Aaron's number 715 radio call. The incomparable Hawk Harrelson. Stretch. Little Bill Butner coming up for you. What did you say, Borky? Uh, stretch. That's my favorite part about uh, Harrelson. Guy hits a deep fly ball and he'll just go, stretch. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi. I hope you're having fun with this because I'm having a heck of a lot of fun with it. And Michael Borky put in a load of work to get us to this point on this day. We'll take a timeout. Be right back with you. Borky, not to overwork you for a second night, but this uh, this is a bit of a hit, and we are getting requests. So maybe we could make a running list and uh, try and play back a few more tomorrow. I'm fine uh, with that. There was a, there was a request for the uh, Chicago Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. I'm going to start writing these down because uh, I don't think we're getting to all of ours from today anyway. So yeah, I, I think you're probably right about that. Derek in the Delta on the C Spire text line says he's getting chill bumps listening to some of these. Uh, got a Cardinals fan that went with chills, go cards. Uh, Rudy suggests, he says, I'm sure you've seen Brockmire, but if you haven't, it's a much watch, uh, must watch. Have you guys watched Brockmire? I have not. I know what it is, but I haven't watched it. It's yeah, been on my either. list. It's been on my list of things to watch for a really long time, and I haven't gotten to it. Is it where? Where is it available? Is it Netflix or somewhere else? I don't think it's on Netflix. Hey, Dad, I thought you were about to drop the. If we only had a device for me. Well, I mean, I can. Um, Bob Hulu, Hulu sends us a message. It's on Hulu. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> 
So Bob sent us a message, and I hadn't really thought about this. So when I went back and watched the um, the Kirk Gibson clip last night, it was the television broadcast, and I think it was on NBC, but it was Vin Scully's call. And I just assumed that that was Vin Scully doing national television for the World Series. But I think, Borky, what we heard a second ago, which makes the question I was asking I guess more relevant, I think that was actually the Dodgers radio call with Vin Scully. You know, for the, I guess for a really long time during the regular season, the Dodgers would simulcast his television call with his radio call. And then at the end of his career, they did a simulcast for like the first three innings, and then he just did television the rest of the way. But I think that was the radio call from the World Series, and Bob points out that the other guy you had broadcasting that game on television was Jack Buck. Or, or, or maybe, maybe I've gotten that. Maybe I've messed that up. Maybe Vin Scully was doing television. I, I think that was the case, and Jack Buck was doing the national radio broadcast. Whatever it was, you also had Jack Buck calling the exact same game. So two of the most iconic announcers of the last hundred years were broadcasting the exact same game and both of them absolutely nailed the call. That's where Jack Buck gave you the I don't believe what I just saw call. And hey, Dad, I know you're not Dodgers guy, but you weren't an A's guy either, right? Did you hate the A's as well? I mean, this is one of those where... It, why couldn't the earthquake hit this this particular series? Why did it have to be the oh, next year? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Um, the only point that I was going to make was Dennis Eckersley was the closer that was pitching against Gibson. Was and untouchable. he had not given up a home run since August 24th. He'd gone yeah. two months. He, he was completely untouchable that year. But Kirk Gibson got hold of him. He certainly did. There are some that would say Hank Aaron is still Major League Baseball's home run king. 7-15 was the night that he broke the record previously held by the great George Herman Ruth. Milo Hamilton, who went on to work a number of places after working in Atlanta. Milo Hamilton on the call for number 715 for Hammer and Hank. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. The sellout crowd is cheering. Okay. That game was also Marty Brenneman's first day at work. Was it really? Yeah. Huh. Not a bad way to start your career. I would say pretty solid. Pretty cool way to start your career. Um. Okay. So, very different call from Milo Hamilton... 
for that moment in comparison to Vin Scully and the Kirk Gibson moment. But still good. Would you prefer for there to be less, or did he capture the moment in the right way? Just for me, I think the call just sort of becomes the call. And whatever happens is, you know, if you told me that we're going to change those things around, I wouldn't want to accept them. I, I think that both of those guys did a great job in that moment. And that's, that's you know, and I'm sure you know this, being an announcer, that's all you can do. You know, you have the moment. Don't mess it up. I don't think either one of those guys did. It, it kind of varies, doesn't it? Uh, because if it's like a, a game-winning hit or a game-winning shot or something, I think you should more more often shut up, for lack of a better phrase, is let that moment sink in. But when it's something that's not like a big play where the living room is losing their mind or people listening at home where there's context to what just happened instead of the game is over, there's more room for you to say things. If that makes sense. Yeah. Text message says, whoa, who would say Aaron is the greatest hitter? He had over 4,000 more at bats. He was talking about home run hitter than Ruth. And I guess the point I was just making was in comparison to Barry Bonds. I don't feel like anybody really disputed Hank Aaron as the home run king when he crossed over to 715. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I am misju- misjudging the way that that was uh, was viewed. Ah, the most is the most, man. You're the home run king if you have the most. So you're you're on Barry Bonds' train. Well, I'm talking about between him and Ruth, but when you throw Bonds in the mix, the tainted nature of it makes it at least feel different in context. But when you're comparing him and Ruth, whoever has the most has the most. I, Look, at bats and all of that stuff, I get it, but that's not why you're calling them that. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming with you. Let's give you a couple more baseball, and then we will transition to some Ole Miss stuff, some Mississippi State, and some other stuff as well. Hawk Harrelson, who will never be considered one of the great announcers of all time, But he certainly is considered one of the unique announcers. He has a unique style. And has he fully retired now, Rippy? I know last season he only did road games. Jason Benetti did the home games. I think he's retired. Could be wrong, though. Yeah, I, I think he's completely done. Chicago White Sox announcer Hawk Harrelson. Nothing significant about this particular call. This was just kind of his thing. That ball hit high and deep. Stretch. Stretch. Get on back there. They look up. You can put it on the board. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Number three for Gillespie and the Sox lead it three to two. Again, nothing significant about that, but that was Hawk Harrelson in a nutshell. In the air. Stretch. 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 Put it on the board, yeah. <laughs> I can't decide if I was a fan, I would enjoy that or not. If it's your team, I guess you do, right? Yeah. We are 
we are in the era where this is all going away. Right? No, nobody's ever going to call home runs the way Hawk Harrelson did again because, and I mean, I guess I'm probably in this group. Everybody kind of sounds the same, or at least approaches the way they broadcast the same. Nobody can ever be Vin Scully. Nobody's ever going to try to be Hawk Harrelson again. Nobody's ever going to try to be Harry Carey again. Nobody's going to attempt to do what John Sterling does, right? I mean, if 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 a twenty nine year old, you know, young phenom broadcaster broke into the major leagues and attempted to do what John Sterling does, it is high, it is far, it is gone. That. You'd be laughed out of the business. But when it's somebody that's been doing it for 40 years, it's a cool thing. Why do you think that's changed? Society doesn't want personality anymore. But don't but don't we love personality? No. I do. We, we might. The four of us. Society wants plain Jane vanilla corporate nobody nobody gets offended <laughs> sports talk Mississippi we'll take a quick time out and be right back a little too tall could have used a few pounds tight <laughs> pants points Strider and Indian Olaborky has a quest, uh, request she was a blackhead beauty he doesn't actually want Harry Carey he wants the impersonation of Harry Carey write hey. it down now Probably if you were a hot dog would you eat yourself I know I would if the moon was made of spare ribs would you eat it I'd probably ask for seconds hi what about the what about the clip where Steve Stone has to correct him about the outfielder's nationality. You guys oh, I don't know that one. Uh uh-uh. uh. We'll, we'll, we'll find that in the break. Uh, Harry, he's. Uh... Anyway, we'll come back to that one. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's uh, let's make the transition from some of the uh, Major League Baseball clips to uh, a little more local. We'll give you some Mississippi State and some Ole Miss. It is uh, we are without college baseball season, but we are not without one of the greatest moments in Mississippi State baseball history. Jim Ellis, I think you will recognize the call. Masters at the plate is five for five in this ball game. Three balls and a strike to Masters. He's going to be sitting on a pitch now. He's going to be looking for a pitch that is in exactly the right spot. And if it's not, he'll let it go by. If Kimball can't throw a strike, this ball game is tied. If Masters gets a base hit, this ball game is at least tied. The 3-1 pitch is a drive deep to left, way back, and it's gone! Grand slam for Masters! A grand slam for Masters! This crowd is berserk! 
Mississippi State has taken an 11-8 lead in the top of the ninth. Hey, Dad, there have been a lot of big moments in Mississippi State baseball history. Is there a more famous swing of the bat than that one? The only one that would compare to me is uh, Elijah McNamee's walk-off in 2018 at Florida State. So I would say that Masters' home run is the greatest moment in Duty Noble field history. Okay. But McNamee getting it to keep the season alive. Yeah. Yeah, and and as a game winner as well. Yeah, that you you heard that, Jim say at the end of that top of the ninth inning, it was not bottom of the ninth. It was not a walk off. If it had been also, a walk off, would the answer be yes? Maybe. Also, that you know, that's another game we, we were talking about. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. That was state had to play again the next day. So, yes, but like when David Freeze hit that home run for the St. Louis Cardinals, it was all but done. Yeah. It was all over at that point. We'll see you tomorrow night, but tomorrow night's just a coronation. Yeah. That was what, 1980? 1990. 90? I was thinking 89. It was 1990. Nah. Oh, don't get, don't get me going on the 89 team. No. Was 89 supposed to be better than it turned out to be? Oh, no, 89 should have been the national champions. They finished 54-14. and 14. They were the number one team in the nation most of the year. And lost in That's the uh, right. Starkville Regional. Who ended up winning that? North Carolina. Ah, nineteen eighty. Were you at the game in nineteen ninety? No, I was, uh, with my, me and my dad were watching, listening to that game together. So you heard that call live on the radio? Mm-hmm. On a little clock radio in the living room of my dad's uh, house. Did you go crazy? I did, and so did he. Keith in JS says, Jim Ellis just gets me fired up from the 615. I just shed tears. It's kind of the power of radio, right? It, it can take you back. Let's take you back to 1999 to the Egg Bowl, a game-winning field goal as called. Do, uh, do the touchdown first. Do what now? So we've got two from the 99 Egg Bowl. Do the uh, uh, Simone's touchdown catch first. All right, so let's go to C.J. Simone's first. This is not Jack Crystal. This is the television broadcast. C.J. Simone's, see if you recognize these voices. Which is surprising. Your guy is right here. Let's see what they do. Throw it to him. Three-person booth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, audio is not great either, but I think I know who those two guys are. Is that three guys? Tariko? That is Tariko, Corso, and Herb Street. That is correct. That was the Thursday night crew. Yep. Well, that was that was a good run as well. Yeah, All right, those, so, those were a lot of fun games. So that was the C.J. Simone's touchdown in the 1999 Egg Bowl. And now let's go to a different voice, a field goal to win it with the great Jack Crystal. Rob Morgan will hold at the 33. Scott Westerfield will try to win this football game for Mississippi State. 
We'll wait the snap back. Crowd gets quiet. It's put down. The kick is away. It's long enough. It's high enough. Wrap it in maroon and white. Wrap it in maroon and white. Bulldogs go out in front, 23 to 20. Four seconds left in this ball game. Mississippi State's going to get a celebration penalty. They sure are, Jack. People are running all over the football field. As is tradition. <laughs> See, hey, Dad, it's not the new thing where you get a penalty after a late score. No, you're definitely right. <laughs> oh, how good is that? That's Scott fantastic. Westerfield's game-winning field goal, wrap it in maroon and white. And then there was the infamous post-Alabama. You're welcome, Sonic. It's the advertising plug that keeps on giving. Here's the drive of the game. It's time for the... Sonic Drive of the Game, brought to you by your hometown Sonic Drive-Ins of Mississippi. The Sonic Drive-In, America's favorite drive-in. And perhaps as far as I'm concerned, the drive of the game may be my drive home from Starkville to Tupelo. And hopefully it'll be an uneventful drive. (laughs) What a legend. It will never (laughs) not be funny. Never will that not be funny. God, that was one of the worst football games you will ever watch in your life. Oh, and he and he just just that's just beautiful. What year was that? Hey, Dad. Oh three. That was Jackie's last year. I was sitting on the porch at my dear late friend Charles Walker's farm, west of Oxford, and we had been out watching football, hanging out that afternoon, and had the Mississippi State game on the radio, <laughs> and we heard that live. It was like, hold on, did that? Did he really just say that? And the, yeah. the to me, the funniest thing, and Borky, I may get you to play it again in just a second. Listen to how like peppy and energetic Jack is while reading the card. Like they've handed him a card, he's got to do this live read, and then his demeanor changes it. Play, play it one more time, Borky. It's time for the Sonic Drive of the Game, brought to you by your hometown Sonic Drive-Ins of Mississippi. The Sonic Drive-In, America's favorite drive-in. And perhaps, as far as I'm concerned, the drive of the game may be my drive home from Starkville to Tupelo. And hopefully it'll be an uneventful drive. America's favorite drive-in. <laughs> but but uh, the thing is, it's not. It's the tag on the end of it that is the best part of it. My favorite part is where he goes, and I hope it will be an uneventful drive. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> My uh, drive home tonight after the game from Starkville to Tupelo, and I hope it will be an uneventful trip. <laughs> it's so good. Just just fantastic. So very good. One of the really big moments in Mississippi State sports history and in women's college basketball history Morgan William provided it for us. Neither team with a timeout here. 12.3. In overtime. No timeouts. So Mississippi State cannot advance that. Got to go full floor here. Dillingham across midcourt. Dillingham with it. Five to get off a shot. William on the drive. Pull up, pull up. Got it. She got it. She got it. 
Dave O'Brien from ESPN on the call. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We'll take a quick timeout, wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this on a beautiful Thursday in Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. Altogether different type of show today, and we're having fun with it. Or at least I am. Borky, you worked hard on it, so I know you're having fun on it. Fun with it. More relief than anything else, but yeah. Hey, Dad, you're uh, you're chuckling from time to time, so I think you're having fun. It's very enjoyable. And Rippy, I never know if you're having fun or not. I very much enjoyed the uh, Jack Crystal drive home call. That was that. Is that the best part for you so far today? Uh, I mean, I'd have to sit back and look at it from a ten thousand foot view. But yeah, I guess leader in the clubhouse. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Seaspire text line is open to you at Seaspire. They're not just saying their care; they're taking action to show it through this COVID nineteen crisis and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cares. Also, we would encourage you to, in a time where you're trying to kind of figure out, what do I do? Well, small local businesses are going through some incredibly difficult times right now, and there are a few things that all of us can do to support our favorite local businesses during these unsettling times. One of them, well, you can buy a gift card The local business is able to make the sale they get their cash today and you'll be able to use it later when life returns to normal you can also order takeout or use curbside pickup from your favorite local restaurants and remind everybody that the most helpful thing that they can do right now in this time of in addition to medical crisis economic upheaval is to buy local a little compassion right now can go a long way Sports Talk Mississippi, don't forget you can always go back and grab the show via podcast. If you want to go back and listen to any of this, you can get it wherever you get your podcast, whether it's from Apple or Google or Spotify or Stitcher. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest STM podcast on your device anywhere, anytime. Don't forget you can also subscribe to Thunder and Lightning, The Rebel Report, and The Eagle Hour. Borky, let's do uh, one more Mississippi State clip. We will take you back to the 1999 football season. Mississippi State, wait, it's 99, right? 99 or 98, hey, Dad? I need to know what the clip is, don't I? I Bulldogs win the West. Eight, 98. See, I'm I'm within a year on all of these, and I'm missing every single one of them. 1998, if you're a Bulldog fan, you remember it well. The Bulldogs win the West. Who's going to win? Arkansas, Mississippi State. Pass back is good. Kick is away. Bulldogs on top, 22 to 21. Mississippi State, 22. Arkansas, 21. Hazelwood kicks it through the uprights. Great blocking on the play. The crowd is already heading onto the field. Well, they got down the goalpost, but there's seven seconds left in the game. Whoops! <laughs> you couldn't quite wrap it in maroon and white yet because there was seven seconds remaining. And I forgot that it was that close at that game. Yeah, one point. Yeah, A one-point win. I, I did not attempt to take the field until the final whistle had blown. And then you 
Did you attempt or did you actually? Oh, do I took it? the field. I got on the field. Very good. What did am you I help favorite? bring the post down? Uh no, I couldn't get there in time. They came down pretty quick. Hmm. I've, been, I've I've taken the field three times at that stadium. That one, uh, the '99 Egg Bowl, and the 2000 Florida game. How many other times have people rushed onto the field? <sighs> there's been a couple others. I, 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 I'll take it back. There's another one. I was there, 96 Alabama. I got on the field, too. Um, there have been a couple others where I, I didn't go. Hmm. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at, uh, at supertalk.fm. All right, we're going to transition when we get to the 5 o'clock hour to some Ole Miss clips and some just great college sports calls. Borky, is there one that you – got time for one more before we uh, we transition into the 5 o'clock hour. Right, why don't you pick one from the other category? Oh, what do you like? gosh, do we have time? Do um, we? Let's see. Um, do mine, Borky. You know you want to. Which one was that? I've got a the whole – The Undertaker. Re- okay. The wrestling one. All right, yeah, we've got time for that one. i got to find it quickly. Here we go. All right. Pounders up there. They're destroying the, the hell in the cell. And my God, don't get them over here where we are. What's going to happen here? Undertaker fighting back. He's fighting back. They're right above us, folks. And I don't like it a damn bit. Oh, my God. That would be the great Jim Ross, who at one point was a guest on Sports Talk Mississippi with Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. I thought he was dead, too. I won't lie. (laughs) He killed him. I thought he was dead. The Undertaker threw mankind off the top of the cage. We'll take a timeout. College football fix when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We roll into the 5 o'clock hour. Time changed a few weeks ago. The sun is out. It is bright. It is warm. Somebody told me earlier that I was getting old, and I must be really uh, like uh, warm-natured to be excited about 90 degrees in March. I mean, there, there will probably be a point somewhere in the summer where I'll be like, you know what, I sure am ready for fall to get here and ready for it to cool off. I, I got to that point last year. But I, it's less the temperature and more just the uh, – it's not dreary today. It's not gray and cloudy and rainy and chilly and just yuck. It feels like spring trending towards summer. We had a month and a half of rain every day. You know, Forgive us for enjoying a nice sunny day. Yeah. I am enjoying it. If you want to be a part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Don't forget that at C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through this COVID-19 crisis. And every day, by giving you free wireless data for educational websites and connecting businesses with the tools that they need to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cspire.com cares 
We will get back to more of these clips in just a little bit, but let's take a timeout right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyforddow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. But you can find out a whole lot more than that. You can find out how Ford is helping you in this difficult time through their uh, their six-month program where they uh, they pay three months of your uh, note, they forgive three months, or they roll three months of your payment to the end. But there are a lot of details that go along with this, and you can find all of those out by visiting your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Stop by today and see how they can help you. We are glad to have you along. So, Borky, there is angst among college athletics directors, just college football people in general, Angst, fear, anxiety, all of those things. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're starting to realize what would happen if this continues on into the fall. A uh, financial pitfall is what it would be. And, and you've seen varying degrees of ideas. I know we mentioned yesterday that Ryan Day is pushing the uh, NFL-style OTA-type uh, work out before fall camp to supplement the, the lacking spring practice. Like There are people that are taking an optimistic approach, but uh, apparently athletic directors, as they should, are preparing for the worst. And that has caused a lot of them to reach out to reporters and stuff to get them to... I, I think it's almost like they're trying to get people to realize how serious this is. And so they're talking to media and telling them what their plans are and how much this will cost them and stuff like that to maybe wake people up and and have them get serious about it. But, yeah, yeah th- this is where this is coming from, is they're afraid that we may not have football this fall. And and, and part of that's being pragmatic, right? I mean, you've, you've got to prepare for, for all scenarios. You It's easy to prepare for status quo, like, uh, you know, we, we get ready for the season and we get all of our vendors lined up and the merchandise tents ready and the concession stands are ready and we've got all the people to run the clock and handle the security and the gates and we get ready to play football the first week of September. Like, I mean, there, there's a plan in place for how to do that. There is less of a plan in place for, okay, what happens if we have a reduced schedule? What happens from a ticket sales standpoint, from a donation standpoint, from a worker's standpoint, from a scheduling change standpoint? Uh, Ralph Russo talked to one athletics director that's having his department model out a season that could have these provisions. So, So they're laying out a bunch of different scenarios and saying, all right, these are the things that we've got to prepare for. Could be that none of them happen, which is what we hope. But if they do, we need to be ready for a 10 game season as opposed to a 12-game season for the potential of losing one home game, for the potential of losing two home games, for the potential of having a regular football season with no fans, football games but no fans, having a season that has fans in the month of November but no fans in September and October. Stories, as Borky mentioned a second ago, are floating out there about how departments are preparing for all this, and there is legitimate fear that there could be no football at all. And Borky, you write that it could be catastrophic for a lot of programs, especially non-Power 5 schools, and devastating to most everybody else. Yeah. I mean, now, 
Go ahead. Uh, football keeps the lights on for a, a lot of people, especially the group of five. That's who gets hurt by this the most. I, I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, not in the same financial situation as Ohio State or Alabama, but they are far more equipped to survive it than a Louisiana Monroe. And a Southern Miss who plays multiple buy games a year for $2 million, and then their football programs also make some money, and that allows them to pay for softball. And if the football doesn't exist and those buy games don't happen, then they can't keep the lights on. Yeah. I'll tell you what like I found him most... or dislike him. Hold on. Just a second. Hey, Dad, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, this is an interesting point. Stephen Godfrey makes it on Twitter. And you can like him, you can dislike him, whatever. I, I, I don't care about that. I just want to think about what he tweeted here. As a business, college sports programs have been purposely burning through net profit for years. This has been done in large part to claim that they can't support paying athletes in any capacity. Sorry about your balance sheet. Bunch of them break even, don't they? I mean, even the big ones will, I mean, they have reports, some of them that you can access that'll have expenses and revenue and they tend to go, they're zeroed out perfectly and yet they keep making more money and somehow find a way to spend it all. It's quite funny. What I found interesting about Ralph's tweet was he listed all of these things, like you know, losing a home game, losing two games, no fans all season, right? And then he says, along with other less optimistic scenarios, if no fans all season isn't filed under less optimistic, I shudder to think what the less optimistic scenarios are. Obviously, canceling the whole season would have to be in there at some point, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if no fans for the entire year is not least optimistic than canceling the entire season, um, canceling the first month of the season. Think about how strange the viewing experience would be. I, I, I tend to think that the television ratings numbers would be off the charts if nobody can actually go to college football games. Mm-hmm. And, and And let's be honest for a second. If you can't go to college games, you know what else that means. Nobody's going to NFL games on Sundays. Can't go to high school games. Can't go to high school games on Friday nights. And so your only outlet to watch the game that we all love so very much will be via television. So it would stand to reason that the, the ratings would be massive. I don't know if they would be drastically different than they are right now, I would think that there would be an uptick. But wouldn't that be a weird viewing experience? I mean, imagine I mean, a Saturday what? night watching an LSU game, and it's a big third down, and you can hear the coaches yelling instructions to their players. In an empty yeah. Tiger Stadium, or an empty Bryant-Denny, or an empty Davis-Wade, or an empty Vaught-Hemingway. I remember the uh, the SEC tournament after the tur- the tornado and they played those games over at, uh, I guess it was Georgia Tech's arena, and they only let family yeah, and stuff in there. Absolutely. Yeah. And how weird that was. This would be 10 to 50 times weirder of just but, the but idea hey, Dad, that you could hear everything. Even in, that, even in that scenario, there were a few hundred people that were in there. Yeah, they had a much smaller in. gym than where they were, like where they came from, so they scaled down the arena too. Yeah. So so if you've got four or 500 people in an 8,000 or 9,000-seat arena... I mean, yeah, yeah, it's weird, 
But you got some crowd noise. Now we're talking about. If you got about... 300 family members in a 90,000 seat open air stadium, you got nobody. Rippy, we're going to have to be careful what we say in the press box. The parents might hear us. If we can attend. That's, a, that's another question, too. Aaron and Meridian says, watch WWE SmackDown right now. It's so weird with no fans. It is really, really weird to watch wrestling with no fans. Mike in Oxford says, I will not watch games with no fans. I'd rather have them canceled than play in empty stadiums. I'm you disagree say that, that point, but if Mike. Ole Miss and Alabama are playing on a Saturday this fall, you're not going to turn it on? Of course you are. Or at least I am. Um, somebody says, what about the contributions to the foundations? Yeah. Tax plan messed that up, too, but that's for Gallo at 6 tomorrow. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi. at your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We got more great radio and TV clips for you for the last 45 minutes this afternoon. you along for the ride on this Thursday afternoon. The 26th of March, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. This was to be the opening day of Major League Baseball season. I know Major League Baseball isn't necessarily America's pastime anymore, but it certainly is a day that is, you know, if you even kind of like baseball, full of nostalgia. It's, it's really the only time... Unless you have a massive game, the 4th of July weekend, a pennant race, or a playoff game, it's really the only time that every stadium's full all season long. I mean, Rippy, am I missing anything? I mean, basically every team fills it up for opening day. I mean, even Tampa Bay has 25,000 show up for opening day. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it just, I mean, there's a select few that fill it up almost every game, or not almost every game, but for a lot of the games, like St. Louis, Boston, uh, probably actually not even New York, but yeah, it just, yeah. Not anymore. Say, huh? Yeah, not anymore in New York. I mean, at the old stadium, you know, when they had it rolling, it was massive. I mean, they averaged 50,000 a game, but it's nowhere close to that anymore in New York. Right, so I would say, yeah, that's pretty much accurate. Yeah. And, you know, if you watch Red Sox games last year, there were a ton of empty seats at Red Sox games. You know, Wrigley is generally full. Um, Dodger Stadium, you know, for a Friday night game, Saturday afternoon game, folks will show up and fill it up and, and kind of depends on who the opponent is sometimes as well. But opening day, you get that everywhere. Everybody fills the yard on opening day because it kind of marks the start of spring, summer, however you look at it. And it's a lot of fun. And we are, at least for a while, robbed of that. Will opening day, if it happens on June 12th, feel like opening day? Yes. Yes. Will it? it we'll just be so star for sports, yeah. That you, you think they'll roll out the bunting? Yes. Oh, absolutely they will. And and put the, the little cool logos on the side of the bases that we get all the tight camera shots on that say opening day? Yes. Let's say that it's in June. And not that this really matters. What day of the week would you play opening day for Major League Baseball? 
Would it matter? I mean, would you just play it on a random Tuesday or Thursday so that you can kind of roll into weekend series? Or would you say, you know what, we're going to make this a massive deal. We're going to play it on Saturday or Sunday or whatever. Or does it even matter? We'll do it on a Sunday. They you would do it on a Sunday, another... Porky? Yeah, and that, those are the kind of days you maximize your ratings anyway, Sunday or Monday. I mean, hold if off. you really want to start, that's how you start. Hold off a month and do it on July 4th. Boy, you're deep into the season if you don't play a baseball game until July 4th, though. You They're are, try but to start how, as soon as they can. Yeah, but how incredible would that be on July 4th to have opening day? How long of a season can you play if you don't play game one until July 4th? I don't know. If they're looking at neutral site World Series and backing it up through the end of November. Do what? They're looking at backing up the season into November and holding a neutral site World Series either in a dome stadium or a warm weather city. Is that like a very public plan at this point? I mean, it would just Jeff pass it on ESPN. Okay. No, I get. I mean, I saw the interview with Rob Manfred last night, and um, I think it was the was it the GM of Toronto that suggested playing seven inning doubleheaders, and uh, SVP asked uh, asked Manfred about that. He's like, "Look, there's some things about baseball that I just believe are important, and a nine inning game is one of them." Yeah, that. Does, I mean, I know the but season's the- long and stuff, but that's like playing three quarter. At- well, three and a half quarter NBA games. I, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah but the good. the well, they've done it before. But they also like in dire circumstances. And one, the GM kind of took the approach of, "Hey, like I'm just throwing out an idea. I know it's not the greatest, but like it's about time someone starts throwing out ideas." It almost seemed like a dig at Manfred. Yeah. Well, I mean, it feels like if you can get the season going by mid to late June. I mean, there aren't many off days in the calendar period, so you Pretty probably much get one have a week. to. Yeah, you, you probably. I mean, I don't even know if you can eliminate those one a week. I mean, you've got to give those guys some time off. You can't play a hundred straight games. You know, maybe it's one off day every two weeks, and you try to cram a hundred games in and push the playoffs back a couple of weeks. I mean, it well, really if you're feels starting like in June, you wouldn't have to push anything back if your number's 100, really. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Because really, when we get to the All-Star break, which is usually around, what, July 10th, 12th, somewhere in there, you're actually past the halfway point. So you're, you're usually sitting at about 90 games at the All-Star break. I, I would I imagine it, if the target's June 1st, the target get amount of games would be 120. You think so? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have to back much. That's only lopping off 40 games instead of 60. So if they do that, that. are they looking at this? Because I read an article in Sports Illustrated last night about uh, the NBA is going to, if they can play, uh, going to use it as a guide to whether or not moving the schedule from December to August uh, would work. If they come back, they're going to gauge the the viewership and interest and all of that good stuff to move the season. Would baseball do the same thing? If it works, if they lessen the season, I know the first answer is no because money, but what if it works? What if the ratings numbers are up? And what if the stadiums are fuller? And it's addition by subtraction financially. Would they use this as an experiment, or is it just this is a one-off, we're going right back to 160 next year, 
not even thinking about it. For baseball, I think they'd go back to 162 because of revenue. Yeah, 30% of Major League Baseball's revenue is through gate receipts. And, I mean, I hear what you're saying. If if stadiums were more full, I mean, certainly they wouldn't settle on a 100-game season. You know, is there a scenario where they go to 148? I don't know. Well, at that point, there's not that much of a difference. It would have to be a significant reduction to make it feel like the games matter more and so you have to be there to see it and so on Borky, to make it financially I, I just viable. Don't, I, I, here's the difference. I think you're looking at it from a let's make it a national sports standpoint. Yeah. The, the, the executives at Major League Baseball and the owners and the players, they all feel like Major League Baseball is healthy. And from a revenue standpoint, it is exceptionally healthy. And it's wildly popular at the local level. And the playoffs generate good numbers. I think baseball people are okay with how baseball is right now. Would they like it to be as popular as football? Sure. Well, you know, that's never happened. It's not going to be. But you know what? Let's say the NBA gets to a point where they say it's not tenable this year. What if we get baseball back first and it's all we get back? It would be huge. That could be the shot in the arm that Major League Baseball has been looking for as it tries to kind of reestablish a foothold as, you know, if not the number one, maybe the number two sport in America. I don't know that it's going to happen, but it could temporarily. Let's grab a couple of Ole Miss clips before we go to a commercial break, and then we'll play a bunch of clips for you for the rest of the show this afternoon. Um... Borky, where do you want to start? We were a little limited on time here, so uh, I think we should start with uh, with this one. You get a second shot opportunity. Johnson kicks it to the wing. On the way. Got it! Kevin Bright with 3.2 seconds. Henderson. That would be Olbis and Vanderbilt in Nashville, correct? That's right. You did not give me that description, and it was taking me for I wasn't sure who the people were at the beginning. And a monster shot. Marshall Henderson from just inside half court. A couple of steps inside half court, sent it to overtime. Ole Miss won that game in overtime. Was that the SEC opener that season? If not the opener, it was game two. It was early, uh, early in the year. That's when the country learned who Marshall Henderson was, and then that that poor Vanderbilt student that they cut to with her mouth wide open was a, a meme there for a while. Dave Neal on the call. Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. You have not even replayed any Ole Miss yet. Another state radio station, just like Daily Journal State <sighs> newspaper. It's almost as if. You didn't quite hit send fast enough on your text. That game, I believe, was uh, January 22nd. It got Ole Miss to 4-1 and one in the league. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Still early, though. So that was early. My so that was Marshall good. Henderson. Wait, 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 Let me wait. tell you what else there, Mr. You don't even play anything Ole Miss. We got Austin Anderson. 
We got Lafayette Super Regional. We got Jalen Walton 2014 Egg Bowl. We got Bo yep. Wallace against Alabama. And we got Quincy out of Boisio doing the tip drill thing in T Town. But be mad. Please be mad. You on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Anybody put anything on the grill tonight for dinner, or is this just like a uh, eat-whatever night? Not tonight. Trying to limit my grocery store uh, trips as much as humanly possible, but I will be smoking something this weekend. So, like, uh, limiting your exposure on to people? Yeah, I, I tend to do that anyway, but especially now it kind of seems like the important and the right thing to do. Gotcha. Rippy, what was that? I don't know. No, what, what uh, did no, you say? Not throwing anything on the grill tonight. Oh. Oh, you were trying to be funny with Borky. No, I was just asking questions. I didn't even I hear did. the question. I did have a random, uh, like a random encounter today where a uh, guy told us, Rippy's hilarious. I was like, when he talks, he is. It's like, Some would say I talk too much. Yeah. It's, all I know is it's a good thing you don't get paid by the word. Do y'all? Well, if you think about it this way, Rippy's per word payment is much higher than the rest of ours. We're smart, not hard. Let's listen to some of these Ole Miss clips so that, uh, well, because they were next up, and that's the reason why. One of the... (laughs) (laughs) Did I just talk myself out of and then right back into being a jerk? Oh, my God. I mean, you told the truth. Spot the lie there. Um. One of the craziest moments that I've seen, and I think that most people have seen in a college baseball game, happened on a Friday night. It was game one of a series a few years ago between Ole Miss and Auburn. Here's the voice of the Rebels, David Kellum. Doesn't really need a bat for the third straight time. Oh, swung on, fly ball, right field, they lift it over the plate, all the way to the wall. Were you there for that game? No, I did a story last year on Holt Pertzok's pinch hit deal, and I talked to Austin Anderson for it, and I asked him about that just kind of as an offshoot, like it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with anything, and uh, so it wasn't really surprising. So the guy had done it once before, and he was like, "If he does it again, I'm hitting this out of here." And sure enough, who is that cracking up in the background? 
That was Keith Kessinger. Okay. He that, And he's the one that ultimately said, I have now seen everything. I mean, and if you know Keith's background, you're talking about a guy that played high school ball, college ball, minor league baseball, played in the big leagues, had been an assistant coach, had been a college baseball coach, a head coach at Arkansas State, and had done about five years or you know a handful of years at that point as a radio analyst. So he'd seen a lot of baseball on top of growing up watching his dad as a major leaguer and had never seen that. Isn't that the crazy thing about baseball? It's like when you think you've seen everything, then it gives you something else. Yeah. Isn't that the gist of some slogan they ran for a while? What was the slogan? Just when you think you've seen it all. Did I make that up? Uh, if if you did, maybe you should send it to them and see if you can like parse it down to about four words and you get an ad campaign. Well, you told me the more words the better, so I don't know which way you're going here. But anyway. <laughs> Tell me about the difference in hosting a radio show and marketing to a national audience. These guys are good. It was one of the best ad campaigns ever that the PGA Tour went for for a while. Um, That was a crazy moment. You know the one thing that I've always thought about that is if you attempt to pull that off, boy, you better drive it out of the ballpark. Or you better hit a rocket in the gap. you got to at least get a hit. Because, you know, just kind of roll it over on a weak grounder to second. Well... That was about to say the second best outcome would have like if he didn't hit that over the fence would have been a whiff right because he's they're still tr- probably trying to walk him they just think he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently the ad campaign hit uh, Rippy was just when you think. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. So basically, so you're, you're almost there. Let's stick with Ole Miss baseball for a second. The Rebels. We've talked about it. have had trouble getting to the College World Series. They lost game one of the Lafayette Regional. They came back and won game two. And then on a Monday night, playing for all the marbles, trying to get to the College World Series, the final out in Lafayette sounded like this. Laxer ready again. Has the signal from Allen. The 1-0 to Adams. Ground ball toward Robinson is short. He gloves. He'll throw to first, and it is in time for the out. The Rebels are headed to Omaha. The drought is over. And a big Rebel pile up just away from the mound. The fifth Super Regional is the key for Coach Mike Bing. And there was less drama at the end than you thought there might would have been. I mean, it, it was still tense. You still had to get those final outs. But Ole Miss had opened it up, what, two innings before? Is that right? Now, I thought it was the bottom of the eighth, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, because they had Chris Ellis up to pitch the ninth, and then as soon as Pertzok blew it open, they sat him back down. I got you. That's right. And then Chris Ellis ended up throwing game one in Omaha against Virginia. Um that's good, but yeah, so it was bottom of the eighth when it went. Was Ole Miss trailing going into the bottom of the eighth, or was it tied, or was it a one-run game? Ole Miss was up by a run. Okay, they were up one and then just blew it open. Right, but given everything leading into that moment, a one-run lead in the ninth might as well have been trailing by one. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So that was Ole Miss going to the College World Series. CBS, Uncle Vern. Jalen Walton in the 2014 Egg Bowl. Toss. Very good 
pressure defensively. This is Walton. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's a foot race. And Walton is going to go all the way. That was an unbelievable run by Jalen Walton. I could have lived without that, but that's all right. <laughs> I might have a couple more for you that you uh, – uh, actually, that's the only Egg Bowl moment for you. Well, there, there's a God somewhere. That was a bit of a back-breaking run also, wasn't it? Unbelievable. I mean, State had him in the backfield. Should have been – and would have been punting away, you know, from Ole Miss inside their five. And instead, uh, Will Redmond goes for the strip instead of the tackle. Whoop. And Walton made him pay. Speed kill. He had a few of those. He had a few of those along the way. 2014 in Oxford, that that special day in early October, Ole Miss and Alabama, the sometimes underappreciated Bo Wallace. There's the snap. Wallace into the end zone. Got him. Touchdown, Jalen Wilson. Front corner of the end zone, right down in front of where Katy Perry was sitting. And Ole Miss would hang on at the end with Sinquez Golson's interception. That, okay, Borky, you, you talk about replay. That's one of those moments where replay worked out for Ole Miss, but it sure killed all the calls. It really did. It, the But the thing is, the official should have gotten the interception call right the first time. He had a great angle and saw it happen. I don't know what he think or what he thought he saw there, but yeah, Alabama Homer. <laughs> no, the best part of that day was the uh, the Bama fan that got clotheslined by the uh, Oxford police officer for throwing cups on the people on the field. That's the highlight of the day right there. You seen this I video? I don't remember that. So it's when it was before they bowled in their end zone, obviously, and it was the open end. And you remember back then, all the opposing fans just took over that end zone. I guess it was the north end zone. Yeah. Um, and after the goalpost came down and people are like, trying to work the goalposts through the tunnel and out of the stadium. So there's a huge congregation of people covering every inch of the field. And there's an Alabama fan reaching behind him and grabbing stadium cups and just throwing them at people. And he's throwing them at people. And he's throwing them at people. And he reaches back and grabs one and turns around, and an officer comes in and, boom, just laid him out and arrested him. Whew. Tough way to go. We got time for Quincy out of Boise? Uh, I don't think so. No, we don't. We'll hold off on that. So that was 2014 Ole Miss, Alabama. We'll give you 2015 Ole Miss, Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And then maybe one or two more calls going out the door. It's been a fun Thursday with you. We'll take a quick timeout, wrap it up after this Sports Talk Mississippi. share with you two texts in response just because you didn't see my text on play the clip from the state game when the field goal was blown blown back crystal was announcer my response look these clips don't just magically appear borky spent about 10 hours putting this show together we'll work on getting it for tomorrow or another day but doing it in real time while we're on the air ain't happening How do y'all not mention the Sinquez-Golson interception in the end zone? We literally 
were talking about that as we went to the break and talked about the fact that the radio and television calls were not any good because of the long review, and Borky pointed out that the official should have made the call correctly in real time because he had a great angle. Those... Okay. You're getting so worked up. If there are... uh, I'm so happy, and then all of a sudden I'm not. (laughs) It's like, come on! Uh, With... Five minutes left in the show. If there is any call that that we missed that you want to hear, because uh, these all came from Twitter responses. So, like, I didn't do the, uh, believe it or not, the the field goal blowback was not in my Twitter replies. Nobody asked for it. So, I'll look for that one and see if I can hey, find Dad, it. But if there's, did you not request that one, Hey Dad? <laughs> no, I, I, I did not. Um, so, with five minutes left, you can get the text out. If there's one we missed, uh, send it here, and I'll look for it and uh, have it ready for tomorrow. Yeah, Borky is very much open to trying to find By the way, these are a little hard to find. Yeah, the older uh, ones. Very and, difficult. And even if you find them, audio quality, not great. I mean, like the 1995 Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. That was the best audio quality I could find on that. Yeah. Uh, text your request to the C Spire text line if there's one you want that we've not played today or if uh, you maybe missed it. We might even toy with the idea of playing one again tomorrow. C Spire text line and C Spire, Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and the response to that every single day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cares. All right, we gave you Bo Wallace's touchdown pass to Jalen Walton in the 2014 Ole Miss-Alabama game. 2015, let's fast forward one year. Game kicked off at 8-something, 8.30, I think, on a Saturday night and lasted until about 1 a.m. in Tuscaloosa. 2015, one of the crazier plays you will ever see Let's hear it from Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit. Uh, no short yardage gimmage package for the Rebels at the moment. Walton to the right of Kelly. You need about a foot. This is where you hate these offenses where you can't get under center. It's almost six, eight, eight inches. Pick up the first down. High snap. Kelly has to collect it. Makes a desperation heave into traffic. Oh, my goodness, indeed. High snap, acrobatic, ill-advised, just throw it up off the helmet of Laquan Treadwell, out of in stride to the house, and Alabama fans say, you've got to be kidding me. Wasn't just Alabama fans. Did you throw something? Did you I nearly throw gave something? up on organized religion as a result of that play. I just looked. I just looked at the TV. I was like, "There is no God." I, I, was, I was so mad. Oh, have you seen a more remarkable play in college no. football? I will. I will give that the title. The only one that's close to me is the uh, the band is on the field, I, I, and that is I was going to say the band is on, on the, field? the field. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, there, there's a band on the field. 
This is just this is a completely legal, normal play in terms of what happens to deflect a pass for a touchdown. But my God, he just threw it up for grabs. The crazy ending to the Miami Duke game. Uh, I'm, I'm taking out of boy Joe. That was fun because there have been, there have been other you know ridiculous lateral plays. That's true. Uh, this guy. Kelly's like I think he's he's not even looking. He's just throwing it up. He just heaves it. Like yeah. Hugh Freeze is furious with him for throwing that ball. Thanks for the result though. Yeah. We have an entire section of other that we've not gotten to. Ian Dark, Al Michaels, Vern Lundquist, Jim Henderson, Howard Cosell, Keith Jackson, Brent Musburger, Mike Keith from the Tennessee Titans. I don't know what you're doing on a Friday, but I hope you'll join us because it's going to be fun. And we'll add some more of your suggestions as well. Thanks for Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.